Welcome to A State of Mind. This is Julian Ocean. Quick announcement. If you'd like to support our podcast, please visit patreon.com backslash a state of mind. And if you'd like to learn more about each episode, show notes, additional links, and other resources, follow the link on our website, astateofmindplay.com, and click on the episode you are interested in. Today, I'm speaking with Corwin Mandel. Corwin is someone I have known for several years, and he is a truly incredible natural builder. He uses a lot of wood and natural products and repurposes, recycles, finds, harvests, scavenges, different things, and creates really incredible structures, which he calls tiny temples. These are tiny homes which you can live in, which you can move around, and which are intended to be transformational art spaces. They're meant to be inspirational and they often have a spiritual component. Um, he was featured on a TV show called Living Big in a Tiny House. And I'll share a link for that on the episode webpage as well. One of the things he talks about that was really inspiring to me is that he's also working to provide people with tiny loans who want to buy tiny homes. And I think that is a really great idea. I know that there's a lot of people out there who would love to own a house and... Paying rent every month really just sucks. I mean, you pay rent for 10 years, you've probably spent $100,000 on it, and what do you have to show for it? One of my favorite parts about this conversation was getting to hear Korn's philosophy and ideas around building and the creating that he is doing. And he shares with us how by creating spaces that are more organic and natural and not just within straight lines and 90 degree angles and four corners and a wall, uh, can actually shift the way that we experience the world and ourselves. And so, without further ado... Mr. Corwin, thanks for coming down. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me here. This is our first recording in my new house, <laughs> which is it's exciting. Beautiful house. Thanks. <laughs> so um, you've been a builder for a long time, right? Yeah. Um, I come from a line of builders, actually. Um, my great-grandfather, my father, and now me, and I feel like I'm really working at creating a new twist on building in general oh that's cool i didn't know your grandfather i guess i knew your father was a builder but i didn't know your grandfather yeah yeah well, that's beautiful yeah yeah so i'm like and so i feel like with that line it's it was as i was growing up it was something that i tried to re reject and be tr i tried to i always said that i was i'd be an artist but um now those two realms have merged and now what I do is a lot of creative carpentry and natural building. and oh, that's, Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I've seen some of your work, and it's amazing. Maybe mm -hmm. we can share some pictures with the episode. Yeah, that'd be great. Because you use um, a lot of, like, na obviously natural materials and, like, twisting wood. And mm -hmm. Yeah, so a big part of my philosophy is um, opening up to the possibility in the moment and what's, what's, what's present as well. Um, seeing what materials we have, 
what materials we find and then starting our imagination. And luckily I've had all amazing clients that really trust me in my creative process and actually help contribute to it where um, I give them a vague general idea of what it's going to look like and then allow it to emerge. And so they start to have ideas. People I work with, I always try to work with creative um, people that I, I know well. And together we we allow something to emerge. And so we'll have a basic idea that might be a fence, it might be a pergola or a tiny house. And then mm. um, with the input and with the materials we get, that um, original plan starts to get more blurry. And, and the client knows that. And, and oh, cool. a lot of construction workers hate when a client starts putting input after they already put the bid in and have a structure. For me, um, I love it. Like For me, mm. I want more and more input because you can't really understand what a space is going to look like or feel like until it's actually built and there. And so you can do so much in your imagination and on paper, but then when you're there on the site and w the materials you find, right. that's when things start to like, the magic starts to emerge. So it sounds like a real collaboration. Yeah. And you're totally. really like paying attention to the area, the land, the needs, and then kind of using like repurposed materials or recycled. Yeah, yeah. So I use as much repurposed materials and naturally harvest materials as I can. Um, again, with like the being in the Western world, I still buy some hardware and um, still buy some materials from Home Depot, even though I try to avoid it. Um, yeah. But a big part of it, um, yeah, is first listening to the land um, and the space that's there and really sculpting that to the space and allowing the land also to merge forth. Um, yeah, it's so cool. And like, it seems like everything you do is kind of a one-of-a-kind, at least that I've seen. Yeah, so I, <laughs> that's like my model is basically to expect the unexpected. Like I, I, I recently read a book about um, creating a franchise, or it was, it was creating a business, um, and they said it's important to have a reliable product. And so my reliable product is that it's going to be unexpected. <laughs> and the reliable product is the unreliability. Not, yeah. not that it's unreliable, but that it's unexpected. That's yeah. And, and the client knows everything that's happening while it's happening. So mm. it's all in communication. It's in, in communication with everyone. It's in communication with me, the people that are working for me, the land and the client. And we're uh, working with each other <clears throat> to allow something to emerge that feels good and satisfies yeah. both of us. I love I love that uh, collaboration process. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who will have a lot of ideas and visions and like see something and then I don't always have the tools to bring mm -hmm. it into being. But like for example, like the logo for this podcast, mm -hmm. it's like a tiger and a microphone and there's like a Tibetan syllable in the background. And like so I worked with the artist Stephen Newman mm -hmm. and I gave him some ideas and then he gave me a draft and then we went back and forth a few times and like it was a really cool process to work together on. And I've done that a few times in my life, and it always feels really good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think a lot of stress comes um, from expecting something a certain way. And so for me, my process is if I have an idea, I just do it. And if it feels right, then I'll just keep going with it. Mm. If it if it starts to not feel right, then yeah. um, I don't go with it. And 
um it's the same with my clients too like i'm i work with them and for the um a big part of it is this emerging uh piece so um it's also like a spiritual journey for the client so what i see mm. particularly in the tiny houses that i build is a uh, it's a ceremony for the client so it, every time we're about to do a tiny house we have a ceremony with that client um and we th- they do like do intention settings then we usually put crystals in the walls and then they write huh. um intentions in the floorboard so i see oh, wow. buildings particularly as a second skin of something that we actually grow into um mm. and so we create that building uh as like an emerging uh we create that building as something beautiful that we're like striving to become ourselves yeah. in a certain way. And it sounds um, it sounds very meaningful and like there's a lot of thought and intention and mm-hmm. like writing a prayer down and putting it in the wall. That's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And then it's also very intentional in our our workforce and so we do morning practice whether it's just a brief ceremony or one person leads stretching or yeah. um leads some sort of breathing exercise and then kind of gets us grounded, synced in. And then a big part of my hiring process is really just like synergy. Um, And that's really how I pay people as well as like, if we're in line with each other, then we should be working with each other and it should be fun. It should be with friends. And so we're, we're working to create as joyful of experience as possible. Hmm. Um, I mean, usually all the people that I hire, in the same sort of we like the same sort of music genres um and just get along and so that way it's creating this organism of joy that's actually being embedded into the structure so we're because what i see is what i'm building is temple spaces and like spaces for healing and so i think it's important to be in that mindset as we're building as as well and i always i i went to school for um, visual art and one of my realizations in art was really all that when we like a piece of art or piece of music what we're actually liking is that person's expression of joy hmm. so um, where when we're building I, um, like an example is like when, when I would draw pictures is I would be drawing a, a line and then that line um as when I, when it, when I felt good and was really enjoying the whole process, when that picture was done, it would be amazing and I would love it. Just if, from a, a line? Oh no, I mean, yeah, drawing multiple lines mm-hmm. and then like having, if I was you're, feeling, you're if paying, I was, you're paying attention to the feeling as yeah, you yeah. do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And so if I was feeling really good about when I was drawing, then I would love the piece at the end. If I wasn't feeling good and it was, um, a project that I was hired for and I didn't really want to do, I would be drawing and then, like feel this force that I need to get it done Mm. and then I wouldn't like the piece. And so that's what I try to apply to is with building too, is like create a a joyful experience and process because what people see is your joy that's in your ideas and the way you use things. And what I try to do is trying to get out of the standard model of carpentry where there's fluidity. So there's um, less straight lines and it's, it is really an organic intuitive Mm. process because mostly um 
I always tell people I'm not a construction worker because mostly those construction workers are trying to make super straight lines and have everything exact. Right. Everything's at a right angle. We live in boxes and rectangles yeah. and squares. And I, I think there's something really powerful about being in a space that's not a perfect rectangle or yeah. square, like a circular space. like a. And so what you notice is when you're, when you're next to a concrete wall, next to like perfect bricks, there's all these ideas of perfection near us everywhere in, in our built la landscape. And so when we see those, when we see those walls, we don't really actually notice them. It's like, but as soon as you walk into a room and there's a crooked picture, that mm. crooked picture is noticed. Mm. And so what I'm doing is basically creating thousands of crooked pictures so that people actually become more alive in their senses. Because mm. if we're trying to make things super straight and perfect, there's a part of us that n numbs that out. Like, oh, that's what a wall is. But as soon as that wall is curving and there's all these different variations yeah. within that wall, all of a sudden it like catches people's attention. So what I'm creating is buildings that catch people's attention and structures that catch people's attention. Hmm. Um, and nature does that same thing. And I think that's part of the uh, one small aspect in nature that makes us feel really alive hmm. is walking into a space that everything is moving and growing. And so I always call my buildings like alive and living buildings. And hmm. I also encourage them to grow over time. So I'll build maybe a deck for someone, but then I encourage them to like start thinking of more ideas now and like allow mm. that to emerge and grow. And so everything has life to it and um, yeah. is forever changing and catching people's attention in that way. Yeah. No, I love what you're saying about we kind of like sleepwalk through life sometimes. Like if mm -hmm. everything is very regular, then we can zone it out. And totally. there, there's advantages to that because... You know, if you're trying to make it to the airport on time, you don't. You want a regular. Hopefully, there's not a lot of traffic. You know, it's just a smooth drive. But, yeah, yeah. But then in our day-to-day -day life, it's like, how many McDonald's have we seen, and you don't even notice them because they're all the same. Yeah. And I think that's a problem in America where we don't honor the the land we're in always because we have these like cookie cutter things like Sim City. Like you know, we just drop down these yeah. like, prefabricated little structures everywhere. Totally. That that was one of the things in art school. I always planned on being an artist. But the one thing I said was I would never become an architect. And that's actually what I've created. Huh. I'd also said I wasn't going to be a builder. And those are the two things that I've become. And because I feel like a passion emerges from what we feel most dissatisfied from. And so mm. those were areas that I felt most dissatisfied in. Um, one, the architectural form, f f uh, firm, lifestyle. Everyone mm. I know who, who went through architecture school just hated their lives, like stayed up super late, got criticized. And then they get into a firm, work for $12 an hour for like years and mm. just doing like these detailed, um, very tedious tasks. And so, um, and then a builder I put off because my dad was a builder. Mm. Um, but what I realized was fusing those elements of dissatisfaction. I don't think we actually realize how much we're influenced by our environment. I mean, yeah, absolutely. If yeah. you, if you look at science, um, <laughs> Alan Watts likes to talk about how we, we are our environment. Yeah. Like we can't be separated from our environment or else there's yeah. no way to describe us. And so he, he has this great expression, uh, a skin bag ego. Yeah, yeah. We think we're like the, you know, our skin is our, our boundary. Totally. And maybe in some sense it is, but 
in another sense, it's not because we are so affected by everything. And yeah, we're constantly interacting with our environment. And because we're constantly interacting with our environment, we actually don't sometimes realize how much it influences us. It's almost our subconscious. Mm. And so um, for me, what it takes into effect is like how how we're being influenced by it. And so for me, I'm not... I've learned to love the square, and I, so I haven't totally rejected <laughs> it. But what square is is a very masculine form. It's, yeah. it's a place for focus, for um, like one-minded um, clarity. It's like a great office space or somewhere where you're just trying to narrow down. Yeah. But um, there's so much of it that that's why I reject the square because I, my mission is to really break up lines. And so what I call feminizing the workspace and like both in the construction work zone, um, and creating like a healthy human environment, Hmm. um, with great people. I mean, anyone who's worked in construction knows it's like one of the worst work environments just based off of the people that decide to join construction. I mean, for the most part. Um, and so we're creating a workspace, which is actually like healing, um, based on humanity. People, um, we'll have a set time to work, but people don't have to, s- to stick to that time. If they need to take care of their needs and do what they need to, they can show up whenever they want. They're getting paid by the hour and we'll huh. get the project done whether we need to an- get another extra person or what it is, wh- whatever it is. So you have, a, you have a lot of flexibility, a lot of yeah. kind of looseness maybe, but more mm-hmm. hum- maybe it's more human. You, know, you don't have to always show up at a certain time. Exactly. The, mostly, and, and two, I'm like not as concerned of speed and um more masculine qualities of like just getting things done perfect like mostly i'm focused on if they have an awesome attitude and if they're like inspired and if they're um excited to work and i can give them direction on how to do that and um on how to create a structure and as long as they're willing to listen um yeah i care more about yeah, their humanity and their connection. Um, but yeah, so a, a, yeah, a big part of what I'm doing, I, I also love remodels too, where I'm like um, kind of influencing the the very straight, narrow, structured environment into something a lot more fluid and mm. flowing. Yeah, that's inspiring to hear about. My dog is going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she likes what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's so many different things you've said that I'm picking up on. But one was um, this this idea of your family kind of lineage and how mm-hmm. you grew up saying you were never going to be a builder, and now you kind of are. You are a builder. Right? Yeah. How was what was that like? Um, well, what I realized is I didn't like building and architecture because of the buildings and architecture that existed in my world. And so that's why I didn't want to follow. And so what I chose to do is a path of of really like revolutionizing the built environment and making right. something a lot more intuitive. I always feel even in the sense of structure that we have like an ancestral knowing of what structure um feels like. You can see if something looks like it's stable and is going to hold up. It's there's like a we're made out of architecture, our bones, and yeah. we've created buildings for thousands of years, 
millions of years. And so to tap into that deep, that deeper knowing, we have like an idea of how things are supposed to be made in standard construction. But mm. there's actually millions of different ways to build stuff. And actually, a lot of the things that have held up over the time are not our structures that are overly engineered with all these metal beams and hmm. high sophisticated engineering a lot of the things that have hold, held up are these buildings um that were built thousands of years ago there's cob in england which right. is a mud house and there's thousand year old cob buildings there's timber frame buildings which are in, were in japan or they're all over but japan really took th them off and japan's one of the most um it's one of the most uh earthquake-ridden places on a fault, fault line. Yeah. And a lot of these structures are thousands of years old, not because they were over-engineered, but actually the opposite, because huh. they were actually had the ability to flex and move. Uh, and so... That's so cool. So we, we have to, and like... They're, they're think, made, out of, made out of wood? Yeah, made out of wood and with joints. They call it mortise and tendon. Yeah. So there's no hardware in most of the buildings. It makes no me metal think hardware. about... You have read like in World War II, like towards the end of the war, I think, um, I think it was like Tokyo. You know, they were, they firebombed these cities in Japan that had tens of thousands of wooden structures. And oh, the whole wow. these huge cities were completely destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure there's still many that had survived the war. But yeah, I mean that's a different story when you start yeah. getting bombs involved. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, your your point that they can survive earthquakes and yeah, through yeah. being flexible, that's beautiful. Yeah, and and um, and so what we've done now in engineering is we actually overbuild stuff. Like most of the stuff in the Western world usually lasts about 60 years, maybe 100 years. Um, well, we live in a society that kind of does that on purpose because we make money off continually. Exactly. Know, like if yeah. you buy a car and it breaks down in 10 years, you have to buy a new car. But we, yeah. we, could, build, we could build cars that last 50 years, like a Rolls Royce. That's like, mm -hmm. that'll last 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah, yeah. And, to yeah, yeah. and buildings are the same and it, it keeps people employed. Uh, maintaining i mean some of these old structures also need some maintenance but um the our idea of, of like and I, I also think it's there's one hand in in we're trying to create unpermanent things for economy but then on the other hand we're very noun based in our culture and so hmm. we want things to stay so we're like we build something as rigid and over-engineered as possible so it stays still and doesn't right. move but what actually happens is nature's moving and so mm. like the earthquakes or other aspects to it we need to be we need to have buildings that are living and growing and also the th nice thing about building with natural materials is it's family friendly mm. if you if you need like windows replaced in a standard construction place or foundation work whatever it is it's going to require someone who has a bunch of tools. It's like a kid yeah. can't do it, but a mud structure is something that like in Mexico, they like replaster their houses every year. And mm. it's this amazing, beautiful event where we actually get to caretake the structure that's caretaking us. Mm. And so I always like the relationship with natural building because it's such a friendly material. And if it does happen to break down, fall apart, it's already the earth. It's going to, it's going to blend back in with the wild and so interesting yeah there's a beauty i think in like understanding these laws of nature that are fluid and growing and 
a lot yeah. more feminine than the buildings that we've yeah. created. Yeah, I mean, and there's obviously this immense connection with the earth, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it makes so much sense that we would build things that could then return to the earth and come from the earth rather than mm -hmm. plastics and all the other. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it, mu it must be a huge amount of our landfills right now is like construction debris. And yeah, it's amazing how much like, and I worked in standard construction for a little while. Oh, you did. Um, I mean, green building, which I don't even see as green necessarily. So it's, what, it's, what all, it's even more energy consumptive to build the house in a certain way. What is green building like? How would you define that? So green building is super energy efficient, um, still standard construction, um, but they're they're mostly focused on energy efficiency. Mm. And so to do that, you need like extra big walls. You need to like caulk the seams. Right. Um, I was doing like the first passive certified passive house in santa cruz and huh. um it, the amount of of toxic materials that went in the house was like exponential compared to a house that was just standard construction it had more toxic materials yeah and huh. so why what, what's an example of a toxic material uh just like caulking oh, okay uh like the insulation insulations that? toxic so natural building is a whole new category i mean a lot of people yeah. clump those together huh. but natural building is using minimally processed materials and um as minimal chemicals as possible and so um what i'm doing now with t my business is healing earth homes which is uh the natural building side of things but tiny temples is a branch of healing earth homes and that's oh, cool. our tiny houses and so that's actually putting a lot of these natural materials on wheels and so hmm. we use wood and sheep's wool insulation um sheep's wool yeah and so oh. um there's also like so many i think we we notice it in pharmaceutical chemicals and we notice it in um many different um aspects aspects of our, of life where we extract something from nature to get that particular hmm. attribute you see it in pharmaceuticals, but what happens is you take out the integrity of that material. Mm. So you're wanting like um, something from echinacea or whatever it is. Mm. Um, there's so many more side effects in pharmaceuticals because of we extract that full right. um, ecosystem that's already in that plant. Right. Um, and then and we so, and then we make it in a we synthesize it and make it artificially and yeah all that yeah and so I see natural building or natural materials as a very similar process like standard construction we've extracted lots of different components of nature so everything's natural but they're extracted and chemically mm -hmm. um, used for just one purpose what I like to do is use that whole material. If we're using a tree, we're using that whole tree in its full roundness. Huh. I used to work for whole trees architecture. And what we were doing is testing the structural integrity of whole trees. And what we found was that huh. when you cut a tree into a square, you lose the weight, capa the weight capacity that it has by over five, um, huh. five times as much. Um, so you're talking about keeping the entire tree trunk? Yeah. Or the tr and, branch? And, and so what we were finding is that the trees naturally spiral up. And that spiral is a necessary um, structural component that keeps the compression strength a lot stronger. It keeps the tree like ability, tree's ability to flex. 
and even the branching pieces help can help distribute the load of weight. And so what we found was actually without cutting a tree into sections making um, two by fours or whatever it was, there um, on a weight ratio, a tree whole trees were just as strong as uh, steel in a weight ratio. Oh wow! Yeah, it must um, depend on the kind of tree. Yeah, the, for sure the the kind of tree. Huh. Um, we were That's doing ash trees. Oh, cool. um, For this particular study, but um, yeah, I mean, there's all different kinds of trees. But what I like to do is really see something for what it is and for the beauty that it has already. Mm. And I even do that in the design of my structures. I don't like to alter a tree to fit what I want. Rather, I try to see what the tree is naturally doing and what it, how it naturally forms and accent that to actually accent the whole building. And what I see, the, the skill in carpentry is actually the finding of materials rather than just the building part. It's actually finding the materials that coalesce oh. together and it's like this synchronistic process. That's I love, beautiful. I always call, <laughs> there's like always moments when I'm working where like I'll have just the amount of doors that fits the exact span of a fence or whatever oh. it is. There's like, when I'm like in the flow, there's all these synchronicities that start to emerge within the structure. Mm. And That's it's beautiful. all these like, I'll go into the forest and find the perfect tree for a perfect place. Um, huh. And so, yeah, it's a, so I'm allowing a, like a lot more intuitive flow. I'm like, even with two by fours, I, and I'm not like very specific on like a lot of carpentry carpenters are looking for super straight right. two by fours. For me, I'm, I'm just grabbing intuitively what <laughs> I want. And then once I, once I get it, those curved two by fours can be used for other parts of the structure. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm like more open to mistakes, which actually merge into even greater ideas. Like even the mm. people I work with, I'm like, oh, that's not what I said to do, but let's try to do this and this <laughs> and this. And then I'm like, wow, that looks amazing now. Uh. Um, sometimes like covering up mistakes actually creates an even more beautiful part of the structure. Oh. Yeah, that's cool to think about. Yeah. It's a very, it sounds like a much more free form, free flowing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more fun. A lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, there's like I well, think there's like an anxiety in in a lot of carpentry, and that's why there's like why why the environment's so hmm. strung up and like kind of tight. Yeah, I mean, like if most construction environments you go to, it's like people are kind of yelling at each other or like teasing each other and making fun of each other, and like it's not very like. It's not a very healing environment. You right. Construction well, you, zone you mentioned to, uh, yeah. masculinity, and I mean yeah. construction, carpentry. These are very like traditionally male-dominated. Yeah, exactly. Things. And so, yeah, and like, I always love hiring women as well huh. um, to help me. But yeah, and even like most cuss words, you could a, a lot of cuss words come from carpentry, like oh, really? hammer, screw. Like I mean, <laughs> like all these like you hit stud. Your like you there's hit your a finger. lot of like terms within the construction industry that have these harsher connotations. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think I think part of the way that men tend to bond is through teasing and kind of making fun. It's not yeah. always as negative as it could be portrayed. Yeah. No, but, it's uh, true. And we, we do some of that on yeah. the work site. But there's, there's a level of, like, understanding and, hmm. uh, like, 
yeah, I think we can connect you can be, at a deeper level yeah, as well. Like you can so. be sensitive yeah, and, yeah. and have mm-hmm. that. Let's be, yeah. I mean, I love, it's it's inspiring me to hear about that you've created this um, company, I guess. I don't know what other word to mm-hmm. use. And you're bringing other people on and you're creating these beautiful structures that are, they're also practical, right? Like if mm-hmm. someone needs a new deck, that's a very practical thing. Yeah, and that's a big part of why I originally left art school and started doing ecological architecture um, was because um, there's like a lack of practicality when I would go to a gallery. I always, I would like, I actually like didn't like art that much. I mean, I like art, but it's like, there was an experience. I like, I would go to a museum, a gallery and be like, Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. And then I'd be done. Um, (laughs) You know, it's interesting to think for me about like art and nature Mm -hmm. because um, I think we're both people that love nature and being out in the, you know, out in the wilderness, out in the woods or however you connect with that. And it can be like such a rich part of creating art. But then, yeah, I mean, if you go to a big city, like sometimes the art artistic process seems like the polar opposite of that, which Mm -hmm. can be beautiful in its own way. But yeah, yeah. so uh, urban and so intellectual and so kind of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. There's like a disconnection. Um, Yeah. And I think. I mean, there's a place for that, too, but... (coughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think... um, Like, what what I was about to say... um, Yeah, is that... um, Yeah, I mean, I I think bringing... um, Bringing the wild back. I forgot exactly the the stream... The the, the yeah. line of thought well, I was on. I guess where I'm going okay. with this is like nature, like there's something about like mistake, messiness, mm-hmm. nature, like <laughs> if if a tree is growing in the woods and like another branch or a rock falls on it, it grows around it. You know, yeah, yeah. it keeps it just keeps going. Yeah, totally. And there's this like messy quality. Yeah. And as I'm like fumbling with my words, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great example. Yeah. Um and for me, what I a pattern I see in nature is I love the the most beautiful pieces of nature to me are those pieces of nature that have struggled and so the those mm. trees that are twisted up and gnarly those are the those are the most interesting yeah. and most loved trees that i find um trees that are like blown over and so a lot of the forest industry i mean it, it also influences the forest industry because a lot of the forestry those trees would just get put in the wood chipper they're trying to find like a straight right. clean tree that they can make the straightest two by four with um, yeah you know i've been in um in forests that have been planted by like the timber industry mm-hmm. where there's these rows of trees and they're perfectly in line and they're so close together and so thick they're like fir trees or pine trees or something yeah. that grow really fast and there's no room for anything else to grow there yeah so it's like a mono monoculture tree farm and it's yeah. it's really a kind of a weird place to, to experience totally it's like the opposite of nature you know where everything is just growing as it grows and yeah yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, and so a lot of what, and so I'm trying to like also reclaim certain parts of the timber, timber industry because we're, um, finding those trees. I mean, ev- I even go to like the scrap lumber, like the lumber mill and they have a scrap pile that I usually take tons and tons of stuff from. Oh, cool. Um, like ends of the trees. Um, and because they're, they have we ha- I think we have a skewed idea of perfection. I see nature as perfection as this beautiful, harmonious um 
wild ecosystem yeah. that's all working together. We see perfection as something that we think that we then form exactly the way we put on paper or right. it's like this. Um, it's like a conceptual process. Yeah. And I actually think a big part of the the architecture building industry is almost like sexual assault to the land because we've hmm. we've just basically just come up with this idea to hmm. make us popular. Like I'm not going off of trying to make something uh stylish mm. that's i'm not it's a, l- a lot of people are looking to find something stylish they want to b- make the coolest building that's no one ever seen before and then you like walk in the middle and you're like that corner is like really impractical and feels kind of like mm. i don't even know what to do with that and they're they're just trying to like come up with an idea and then they just implant that onto the land. They don't, right. It doesn't matter where they put that. They're just right. like, I want this idea right here. Um, yeah, and it's very, it's, yeah, it's like I, you come up with this idea and then you just like, like you said, implant it. Yeah, and so it's a very mental process. Right. And then the, even the carpenters are then trying to get that like arbitrary mental process exactly the way that that person imagined. Right. It's like but, we, we think that there's like a blank slate and we're going to go paint whatever we want on it. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about is like what's already here. The earth is already here. There's already things growing there. There's already things existing there. There's already yeah. people there. And, and like, so to honor that and yeah. then um, it's a more feeling-based process. Yeah. I'm trying to create something that feels amazing. It's something that we ignore a lot. Even in art pieces, I think that's why some of the blandness in a museum is because there's like there's too much thought involved into it. <laughs> there's like... Um, what I really craved to create when I left art school was more of an experiential mm. piece. And I felt like I could influence people a lot more. My question has always been through my life, how do I create healing influential art that mm. transforms people that has like, that completely alters someone for the better. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it was like just a, a endless gruesome search going through museums. I mean, I even, mm. I studied, with a llama in Tibetan um, oh, you art, I which I, th- I, I had like its own transformation because Tibetan art was also, is also like used as meditation and it's mm. like a very healing process, which was amazing. Is this like Tonka painting? Yeah, Tonka painting. Cool. And we painted different p- pillars for this temple. And that was something that started to like lead me then to buildings. And that after I went to Europe and seeing these buildings that some civilization spent like a thousand years mm. building like a cathedral yeah um generation after generation and right. there is a there is a care for like the feeling and the, like creating awe and inspiration um rather than just an intellectual process of like uh i mean there was definitely some intellectual process in it but um right. for me yeah i'm trying to open people up like I, I always see my my pieces what I call them permanent hugs that that basically <laughs> um are a hug that can be be for like a hundred years maybe a place mm-hmm. that someone could always go to and feel sheltered and and uh cared for and that's also something in wilderness survival um the first thing a lot of people think the first thing you go after is food or water for your sustenance. But actually, 
the first thing you want to focus on is shelter. That's Interesting. Because most people die um, from cold before they ever find yeah. any food or water. And so that, we makes, could, that makes total sense. We can last, yeah, we can last, um, what is it, three days without water, um, mm. a couple of weeks without food. But with extreme, like even people have died from 40, 40 degree temperatures at night because they, if they don't have enough Mm. um insulation or anything the exposure of that for too long Mm. um can cause hypothermia and so yeah especially when you're not used to it probably if you grew up your whole life in air conditioning and clothing i mean then you're thrown out yeah or or heat can also kill people and 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 those things can happen in a day and so Mm. these i think there's an instinctual um like place for shelter and mm. and creating buildings and so uh i'm also really into wilderness survival um mm. but i also um feel like that sanctuary is like our first instinct that's a, that's a place that like makes us feel calm and that's another thing in wilderness survival like home. Like the first home. thing yeah the first thing is is like they like in um paramedics they like smoke your cigarette or like just calm down like because (laughs) as soon as you get hyper and your mind's your mind shelter is probably your first thing because Uh. as soon as you get overly um worried or stressed out that's when you start making really bad decisions and so um and a and a and they kind of go synergistically i feel like a shelter creating also a very healthy mind state and also a very healthy mind state creating a healthy shelter and so well that's there's a huge connection between that your living space and your mental space and yeah exactly. there's some psychologists that will visit do home visits to their mm. clients so they can see their living environment and oh interesting like i have uh, my parents have a friend who is a hoarder basically oh. <laughs> and so she is very she never invites anyone to her home you know yeah, because yeah. she doesn't want people to see the mm-hmm. the pile it's it's difficult to like open the door in the home you know well yeah it's yeah. so cluttered and yeah and yeah that's that's like a a kind of yeah it tells you something about that mental mindset it could be like that they're trying to hold on to too much or something yeah um and then but then like you walk into like a zen temple and there's like an instant feeling of calm because there's like hardly anything in there and it's like yeah. a lot easier to enter into a state of peace and tranquility in, in your mind yeah, yeah. much more simple and clear mm-hmm. and clean yeah i think that's a good example like i think the I love the simplicity in Zen and the emphasis on cleaning. And like I've done a few Zen retreats, and we always there's always a time during the day when you clean, you help clean everything. And mm-hmm. I think though that for some people that can become its own kind of neurosis. Mm-hmm. You're like trying to clean too much all the time, and yeah, yeah, you don't feel at peace unless everything is perfectly arranged. That can become problematic. Also. Yeah, but, but then the, I you want to find a balance. Yeah, in the temple that you're going, it's probably it's more of like a ritual of seeing the space as your mind space, as right. your, like heart space and cleaning that yeah, and being mindful and like caring in the way you right. caretake for that. And so Absolutely. Um, it's important but, to get to the intention behind mm-hmm. like, why do we want things to be clean? And you know, there's a good yeah, yeah. reason for that. Uh-huh. But, but yeah. I mean, one thing you said that stuck out to me is like when you start your work day with your people you're working with, do you have mm-hmm. some kind of ceremony or practice or? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool to hear about. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so, and I hope to what, like what would grow that, that more and more. What would that look like? Um, we'll do like, f- um, sometimes like 
one of our the workers wants to like like has like a breath meditation that okay. they'll guide us through. Um, sometimes we go by the river and um, we like kind of ground in with each other, send out some prayers, jump in the river, um, <laughs> and like just adding things that are fun um, mm. to the the work environment as much as possible. I mean, yeah. because yeah, that's the main intention is to have an amazing time and. For tiny temples, at least, what I see is um, th- that our market, we don't have, like, a marketing scheme. We're not trying to, like, sell anything. I, don't, I never, I hate the feeling of trying to sell anything on someone. Mm. What we're doing is living our inspiration. And so mm. if we're um, living our inspiration, people see that and are drawn to that and are attracted by it. And so I focus our business more on, love humanity joy rather than creating axe deodorant that like supposedly (laughs) gets you women that creates joy we're creating joy in the workspace and then spaces that actually enliven joy Mm. it's like actually a more tangible feeling of well-being rather than a promise of this eventually getting you well-being Right. So you can start off with the joy and yeah. then like live from that place rather than exactly. doing all the stuff to get there. Yeah. And I really That's feel beautiful. like the joy then is emerged into the structure as mm-hmm. well um, that yeah. people experience. And two, I feel like creating tiny temples, I feel it is also a very um, holistic way to um, offer well-being as well, where like a space is somewhere and so uh, maybe i could talk a little bit about what tiny temples yeah, and the, the, the is that the same as a tiny home or is this something it's yeah it's a tiny home i call them tiny temple. tiny temples that's what the business cool. branch is called and these are gorgeous i've seen a few of them yeah 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 um and so so th- there's a few different um uh branches of this one is called wheel estate which i'm still developing um, wheel? wheel estate <laughs> and it's it's wheel and state investment so that way we're getting private investors to invest into tiny houses um huh. that then people can take out a tiny mortgage and eventually <laughs> own their own equity so oh, cool. um that will um give give people the opportunity to pursue their passions more so lower income people can actually own a house and mm they can pay maybe $300, maybe $500 that they're paying for a room and a house to actually own their own space. Um, wow, that's so beautiful. And then such a big need. Yeah, and then their money is going towards something rather than this endless vortex of rent. Right. It's going towards something that they can um, settle in, they could sell it, they could rent it out for Airbnb. Um, mm. And then we're creating it a as private loans so because right now if you go to a bank they're not going to give you a loan for a tiny house they're going to they can offer a cash loan which would probably be 25% interest we're why, doing why wouldn't they give you a loan for a tiny house well they, 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 they would it's it's like a car loan are like they they're a little bit reduced interest hmm. um house loans are reduced interest like car loans i mean i'm not exactly sure the average is maybe like 8 to 15% or something. It's lower than a credit card. 
And then a house loan is the same. Mm. It's usually like 4% interest, maybe 5% interest. Yeah. Um, and so what we're doing is keeping that interest rate really low. And also, even if people have bad credit or whatever it is, they can still um, buy a tiny house um, through this private. And they, they, we have the paperwork so cool. set up. So invest and, and also investors that don't want to invest a large amount of money into like a fix and flip huh. or whatever it is, they can invest a small amount of money, maybe $10,000 into someone and make some money off of it. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's one uh, piece of tiny temples that I'm working. It, it's still in the process of creating. Oh, that's so cool to hear about. I haven't heard about that before. I, I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. And then... Because there's so many people that are... You pay rent every month. Ten years goes by. You don't own anything. You yeah. Probably it's a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. And it's a debt. I see it as a. It's like an endless it's a tax. Debt. It's yeah. A, yeah. I mean, it's and yeah. I, there's really almost like two classes of people. There's people that own land, and there's people that don't mm-hmm. or own property. You know? Yeah. 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 Exactly. And that's also the biggest way that people develop wealth. Um, right. From my understanding of um, talking with different people, real estate is like one of the best ways to gain wealth because you can buy something and then you can continue to make money off of it mm. or you can um, sell it as the the value goes up. Value but it's, it's like up. one of yeah. the quickest ways to like increase capital. And so we're doing this on like a smaller scale so people can slowly build up the build up on the ladder because not a lot of people have $20,000 to put down for a large house. Right. Um, so this would be a, a, a little bit easier way and maybe they can then pay off a $10,000, $20,000 tiny house and then sell that and then they have $20,000 to invest into a larger house. That's so um, cool. So that's, that's one aspect. Are these, are these tiny houses always on wheels? Like kind of like a... Yeah, ti- that's, that's tiny temples is all mobile and, and so what I, why I did that is because there's a lot of permitting and other things that you have to deal with if right. it's um, on footings or on the ground. And are they and are they meant to be a fully inhabitable, like livable space? Yeah, so what Tiny Temples is focusing on is like like a lot smaller, tiny houses than people mm. usually imagine. I've built some of those really large ones that are 36 feet, and we can do those, mm. but we're trying to make it more accessible to people. And so Part of that is making them a little bit smaller. So they're being sold as campers and they can be towed with your car. They can be towed. They can be parked in your driveway. Um, They're a lot cheaper because they're a lot smaller. Um, But they still provide a a sanctuary for people. And they're also a lot simpler than a lot of of money goes towards plumbing and electric. Um, So, yeah, they're a lot smaller, um, giving the ability... for reduced price they're a lot simpler to help reduce price but they're Mm. also what they're focused on is more of creative space and so really creating a healing space for people that um like they can be used and they're where tiny temples and tiny houses that we're building they're very flexible in in their uses so they can be used for healing uh Mm. spaces for people to do massage or acupuncture um, oh, they cool. can be used as meditation huts. Uh, they can yeah. be used as um, like a little sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. Um, lounges, and then also part of tiny temples is we're doing mobile saunas and mobile hot tubs, um, and mm. a mobile sound chamber. And so, oh, cool. Those are opportunities for, like, f- I always feel like an art piece should be 
should en- enliven all the senses. And that's mm. part of my dissatisfaction in art school was like, I'd, I was doing visual art and a lot of visual art was one sense. It was only one sense. It was like visual and we're already very visually oriented. Right. And so, but yeah, I, was, I was thinking about that earlier. Yeah. And so what actually started to change that shift was like trying to think of art, art that is really transformational. One art that I know as being really transformational is movies. A lot of people, um, and that is something that enlivens an extra amount of senses. So we have then mm-hmm. visual and hearing right. senses. And then I was, I even call story as a, its own sense because it's like a, it, it was almost like what I've read into is almost our first art form. Telling um, stories. Yeah. Telling stories. That's yeah. like something that, um, it enlivens emotion. I mean, that, yeah. that's like a, a sense. It enlivens so um, hu- so the human. mind. Yeah. Know, being human is telling stories. Yeah. And so, um, so I started to try to incorporate that more into spaces. And so hmm. that's part of what, like, I think saunas and hot tubs are really healing spaces um, hmm. to connect with people. And so that's creating more senses it's like you're in hot water that's a feeling sense it brings you into your body yeah the sound chamber is sound um and then we're also um we have visual effect but then there's also the body effect of just being in a space like i always um i I refer to it as like moving something moving someone both literally and physically so when you're Mm. creating a space you're actually that space is changing the way they move whether you put shelves up high or in the center right. or the beds down low or, and so all those affect people and how they are oriented. Um, yeah. But, um, back to tiny temples. Um, another aspect is creative, um, branding. And so hmm. a big there, I, I, I recently did these, um, laser etched cards. And so, when I was doing those, I had the idea in my head of creating uh, a very like graphically designed, appealing logo, something simple, something straightforward. And I did like draft after draft after draft. And as soon as I was like, wait, forget that. I'm going to do what brings me joy and what I love and like how I draw. And so I just drew my intricate drawings and the way huh. I naturally draw, and a lot of people love it. It's like, no, it's not like the easiest to read, but it's a card. You're supposed to like look at it, find <laughs> what it says, look into the like. It's I'm not trying to just. Huh. It's not like a standard band. Like oh, there's Nike. All of a sudden, like you know right. what it is. It's encouraging you to stop and sit and like look into it, mm. and love um, uh, love it. And so, all the aspects to Tiny Temples is trying to encourage that. And so like slow down. Yeah. Attention. So we're, we're, we're doing a promo bit video right now. And so, um, Aaron is working right now. I told him to just, I want it to be as fun and creative and alive as possible. I don't mm. want just a standard promo video where I'm sitting up there. And so we're doing dance scenes. We have like different time-lapse footage. We'll have aerial footage of a, and, um, different like costumes that we'll be wearing and then (laughs) interviews through the forest. And so we're trying to, we're not trying to appeal to a broad audience. We're trying to appeal to a specific audience that 
is aligned with us because we're trying to get people. We're not trying to get customers. We're trying to get more people that are aligned in our vision mm. and that are aligned in creativity and expression. And so cool. um, every aspect of that one, one part two is mobile billboards, mm. um, which it's basically every worker in tiny temples has the opportunity to take that tiny temple, whether it's a mobile van or a mobile trailer to festivals, do a road trip forever long they want oh, the, with only, the temple yeah the only thing they have to do is put a for sale sign on it so <laughs> as soon as they sell it in one location they'll get we'll get publicity wherever they go whether what festivals they're at and it'll oh, even be a showcase piece and then once they sell it they get a, f- a flight back included <laughs> oh cool um, <laughs> that's a so, cool idea yeah yeah and then another I, part i hear you i hear you bringing in a lot of community a lot of people a lot yeah of and that's because that's what it's focused on a lot of companies are focused on speed and profit and then because they're so mm. focused on speed and profit they forget about humanity it's like we create whatever we're focused on and mm. so i even see it in technology lights we've were created by thomas edison supposedly um is that right? <laughs> the light bulb? Yeah, yeah. I've heard and there's some there's some debate and controversy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. theoretically, but Thomas Edison. That, that's what they say in history books. But his his method and mindset was profit and something that was right. used. Then Tesla created lights as well. He had a whole different oh. mindset of lights, and we've noted we're noticing now different negative effects of lights from EMFs, or whatever hmm. they are. Tesla actually created lights that have healing effects because he was focused on healing. He wasn't focused mm. on profit. He, and so there's different uh, yeah. lights that create ozone in the air. There's mm. different frequency and wavelengths that create healing that have been discovered. And so we're focused on humanity. And yes, speed and profit are can be products of that, but mainly... But it's not the focus. Yeah, we're yeah. focused on... Um, yeah, we're focused on fun because that's that's really like... <laughs> down deep after all the questioning and inquiry in life to me that's the deepest purpose of life (laughs) in me is like (laughs) i've realized i was like oh well this is all an illusion we're all connected to each other there's not there's not a linear purpose like i'm i mean we we create them which Mm -hmm. are awesome this is like my purpose in this reality but deep down we're just in this reality we're just like these spiritual beings the really the only thing left is to just have a good time while we're here. <laughs> and there are many, and whatever way that is, I mean, yeah. I think well, I think there's a lot more to what you're saying than it might, than it might seem at first, because if you really want to enjoy, like have real authentic happiness, like real mm-hmm. joy, that's not like random. I mean that, and that's also not just coming from just trying to get as much pleasure as you can from like food or sex or whatever. It's, you know, it's like a, Mm-hmm. I think creativity, community. There's, there's other things that create that. Like, if you want to play, you need people to play with. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, and I always feel like if you're following your deepest joy, not just like surface level joy. Right. There's surface right. joy, which is like, I want a nice car. I want. I want a donut. Yeah, a donut. <laughs> Those are like pleasures. Yeah. A joy is like, I want to like feed a bunch of children. I want to mm. like be out in the woods or there there's different levels of joy and tapping into that deeper joy and when you follow that deeper joy it's like i could be sanding i don't necessarily like sanding wood Hmm. um for a regular but i can and i can hate it if i'm doing it for a standard construction house i will 
totally despise it. I will not be having any joy. And the act of sanding is not that fun. But if I'm sanding something to create amazing art piece, all of a sudden there's joy and there's aliveness. Yeah. And the joy I'm talking about is like a deeper aliveness that's right. um, that can even have pain within it. We could be hiking up to the top of the, a mountain and our our legs are giving out and we're just mm. struggling. But there's an aliveness. We love what we're doing. We're yeah. like we're going to somewhere amazing. Um, that's a good and example. So that's that's yeah. that's what I'm talking about, like as a deeper joy. And so that's what this company is based off of is that deeper joy, not like a surface level joy of mm. a nice new thing to buy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, a, and a word, there's a word for that in Greek, uh, eudomania. Oh, it's deeper level joy. Yeah. And hedon, hedon, hedonic joy or pleasure is like the pleasure you're talking about. Yeah. And a part of that deeper joy is following your passion and your purpose. Mm. Your, um, and that's what this business is helping to encourage too, because once people, people get caught up in society because basically they're trying to make a living. They're like, they're trying to survive. And so they'll do whatever they can pick a job as a, as a waitress, even though they hate waiting Mm. tables or don't believe in it so that they can survive. And so, and mainly where that money is mostly going to in lower income people is to rent. So as soon as you cancel out the rent factor, all of a sudden you have a ton more free time where you can actually focus on, what you love and what brings you joy yeah yeah I love that. that was beautiful yeah yeah and I mean, then i think it's just inspiring because i you know you're following what you're talking about and you're also having some economic success you're also mm-hmm. making it sustainable so you're like interacting with the society with our capitalism with all of its problems yeah. but your your purpose isn't just to make money like you said there's like a deeper level here totally i mean i i think like many people uh we might know is like there's i've always rejected money in a certain way like Mm. like money's not the way it's not the way to happiness like Mm. you see it like and then all of a sudden there was like this turnaround for me where i was like to really overcome the game of money first you have to master it (laughs) like and that that was just the Mm. mindset and so a big part of it is economy because and and it's also helping the economy of it's a, the the whole idea is bringing abundance to everyone who's involved in the project mm. whether it's the investor the workers actually can work off a share of the building so they can so when we're building a tiny temple with an investment they can work off they can if they work up to 90% on that building they get a share in that when it sells and so that's yeah. also helping encourage them to like inspire them to work Um, do you have the people who would buy it can they help work on it yeah totally i mean a lot of my projects like i was just working on this clamshell shaped deck um with a client who's amazing just today and she was out there working with us she was like i was like totally yeah (laughs) if you want to help like come and like she was awesome like cool and and i appreciate that uh level engagement i always try to get as many people involved in the project um, as I can, a lot of the projects I do are action projects, um, mm. uh, Mapleton trailer park, different projects. I've had community work days where we bring a DJ in like oh, that's so cool. more of the fan- family friendly materials like Cobb. Um, we like bring a DJ, have a dance party. Um, <laughs> and like that way, and the, the particular project I'm talking about for this bench at Mapleton, um, is in a very public place in a neighborhood, in a park in a neighborhood. Is this from the city of Boulder? Um, Mapleton Trailer Park owns that land. 
So they gave us permission oh, cool. um, to use it. And so that, um, what I want to create is a monument, but not something that is arbitrary again. It's something that mm. everyone has a piece and heart and soul into that piece. And so when they see it, it's like, oh, my grandchild worked on that piece. Yeah. Um, and there's a story involved in it. Yeah. And, the, and so there's like a heartwarming feeling for that piece because of that story, because of mm. you working on it, because you had that idea to put a flower in that certain area <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, and everyone feels like they're part of yeah. it. And it, and it. It makes me think about like back in the day, if you had a village, like in October, you know, everyone would come together to harvest and there would be like big parties and everyone totally. would work together, but we'd all be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Or like building a cathedral or a church, like everyone in the village or town would be working on it together for mm -hmm. decades or even hundreds of years. That's awesome, we don't yeah. we don't have that many things like that today where mm -hmm. we come together and work on something as a community yeah that we're all going to be a part of and i I like contrast it to like uh just like a, a monument that maybe for like custard or something that just like puts somewhere like mm. they're like you didn't talk to anyone in the community or whatever it's just like mm. someone high up in the office like it was like oh yeah we need this monument or we need mm. this art piece here just plop um, it down. Yeah, and so I want to create usefulness. So I like to talk with neighbors and like see what we want and see and like engage engage them in that process. Um, so I think it's really like kind of radical what you're talking about. I mean, we need more public spaces where we all get together and and are involved. One way I've seen it happen in big cities is like there'll be a wall where anyone can go and paint graffiti, whatever mm -hmm. street art, and yeah, that yeah. can create or a community garden can help create that a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah, and I always like to hear all people's opinions. So I love kids when they come. That's why I love to use natural materials too because it's so accessible to everyone. Um, and yeah, so I love to hear like older people's opinions, younger people's opinions and like join all those together because um, like a deep, deep down we like all have the same needs and desires. Um, hmm. We need love, we need community, we need shelter. And so there's like certain common points that we can all connect on. And so I love to create things that merge all, all kinds of worlds. And yeah, yeah, sometimes even little kids have helped me on, on carpentry. I'm always ex like receptive oh, wow. to like <laughs> kids. Like uh, there's like some pictures of me, with different fences and stuff um, with like kids with a drill or like, I'll even show them how to like cut huh. wood. Um, That's so cool. And, uh, like a lot of construction workers like don't want to be slowed down and I'm focused on humanity. So that's an important part. A lot of, um, like I, th I think I said before, like a lot of construction workers want it a certain way and don't want any like outer influence. I'm always looking for outer influence and how it can shift and shape because yeah. it's a, it's an alive piece. Well, something that's interesting to me about what you're saying is like, there is this emphasis on speed and efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. In the modern world, but it makes sense. But you're someone who's getting a lot done and you're not maybe focusing on speed per se. Like you can, yeah. sometimes you can get more done if you slow down. Yeah. Slowing down and also getting more people involved. And getting and more, so, yeah. so rather than thinking like, Oh, I need to do this faster. I'm like, Oh, who else wants to help with this? <laughs> and so, um, that's what I've been realizing lately is, huh. is, um, yeah, just asking for help from more people. Does and then we, don't, then we can all slow down and have a great time. <laughs> Does it feel difficult sometimes to 
give up control because that's part of what I would maybe I would run up against. Oh, like yeah. if, you, if I would have like a vision of how I wanted things and then you No, that's easy for me. But I do there is in the business model that I've created, there's one position which I call the filter or the vision holder. And right now that's me. Hmm. As it starts to grow, there'll probably be more and more vision holders that I trust. Huh. Um but that's someone I call it a filter because they're bringing in other people's ideas and then focusing it into one cohesive piece. And so mm. I'm always open to people's ideas, but it's all going to be filtered through me. And mm. so that way I can use it for the whole piece. And maybe uh, maybe yeah. some things I'll filter out completely. Um, that's, that's a super important yeah. point because if it becomes too uh, collaborative where everyone has an equal say and it's like a committee and yeah, like yeah. you can't do anything unless everyone agrees to it or something, that won't be effective yeah, in my, in my experience that chaos. doesn't work in the real world yeah it creates yeah. chaos you need you need someone to hold that seat of like this is the vision this is yes to this no to that and mm-hmm. yeah and then there's also different positions i try to get different kinds of people that like some people are really focused on organization or detail or um my skill set is really the vision is like holding to this feeling to this i this like emergence to happen um but some people like are super and I can go into detail, but that's not where I'm trying to go. Right. So some people love just getting like in the detail and I'm like, awesome, you do that. Mm. Some people love organizing. It's like you organize. <laughs> um yeah, really inspiring people to like live their gifts more and more mm. and seeing them for what they're good at rather than just um trying to fit in a standard model of it. Yeah. It's a whole different approach to like work, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many people, and I've been there too. Like where you're doing something and you you kind of hate it, you know, or you're mm-hmm. just trying to get through the day or do it as fast as possible and move on to the next thing. Yeah, and and, and so yeah. too, I mean, like I think there's there's a lot of <laughs> I think there's a lot of criticism that people could probably bring to what I'm saying. It's kind of like polyamory or something. Like there's all these right. concepts that people have of this the way it's gonna work, but the thing is there it works like like people that aren't inspired to come and work because it's based off of inspiration they get they eventually don't work anymore Mm. people that aren't in the vibe it's not i don't have like these strict edges but because there's a fluidity it it somehow it somehow all works and merges yeah um into it itself it's Um, working for you yeah um yeah so it's a it's a very fluid process i feel like i think um you know i mean they're just different people in different situations and i think the rent thing you mentioned is really true it's kind of like indentured servitude or something where you yeah exactly you know you have to have somewhere to live and you have to have a certain amount of money to pay their rent each month and mm-hmm. if you're stuck in a job you don't like it that can be a hard transition to make but yeah and it keeps this momentum um, luckily yeah. we, we do live in a country where in place where that can change for people if you mm-hmm. really want it and work for it i believe yeah. totally but, yeah um yeah, and the, there's other parts of the, um, oh, another part of the tiny temples that I wanted to explain too is also helping distribute the wealth a little more is what I call grassroots real estate. So I don't, I'm not going to be hiring, uh, we don't have this position yet. I mean, I'm not going to be hiring a real estate agent, um, but everyone has the opportunity to sell them if they feel inspired. And so if someone feels inspired and knows someone who wants a tiny house, they have a promo code that they can then give to me and um, they get a percentage of that sale if, oh, it, if it works out. And so 
Um, it's also allowing people to to sell if they feel inspired. Um, Interesting. So do you put any effort into like advertising or? No. Uh, yeah, I've never. I mean, that that certain aspect hasn't yet emerged. It's huh. it's in the process, but um, there because we don't have like a set a, a set amount of tiny houses that we have back stocked right now. Hmm. But I still use it for job references as well. Um, but wait, what was the question again? Well, it just uh, sounds like you have a very organic way of selling things and like yeah, finding yeah. And new so people. I've never. I mean, I've, I think I've, tr I, I have a website, I mean, I don't, but I don't try to market it. Uh, there's, oh, what's your website? It's healingearthhomes.com. Cool. Yeah. Um, but I don't try to market it except for just now. No, <laughs> but, um, no, um, you're not, yeah. yeah, like all my jobs have always emerged from someone knowing someone who's knowing someone. Word of mouth. And well, I, I'm also very careful on what jobs I choose because I know it's very easy to go down the standard construction route because as soon as you say you're a construction worker, everyone starts calling you for construction work. And, uh, and I have to be clear with people that it's a very particular niche of construction. I don't even mm. call it construction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's an interesting um, point. And so it's important also for me to be clear on my values and actually like mm. not choose jobs that are in... Uh, be beside my values because right. as soon as I start choo choosing that I get more and more calls more and more calls <laughs> from these standard construction jobs and I know a lot of people that would like to be doing similar stuff that I'm doing but have already committed themselves to a whole nother fact and that I think that happens to mm -hmm. a lot of people like people get afraid of not having a job and so they pick any job and then they start to get they start excelling yeah. because they're in this momentum and then they start to get really good at it. And all of a sudden they're an expert out of this job that they hate. And they've like totally changed their path of life, mm. which could have been if they, if they just had like a little more faith in what they were doing and um, what they love, they would have totally altered their path into one of more passion and joy. And yeah. th that actually happened to me a little bit. Um, I mean, not, I, I never really veered off necessarily, but I there was a, I was working for other people, and then I all of a sudden just got this like impulse and passion to build myself a tiny house. And I only had a thousand dollars, but I did everything I could um, to get it done, and I got it done pretty efficiently. And then nice. um, soon that t I <laughs> soon I, I decided to s I was living in it for a little bit, and then I decided to sell it, and I put it on. Boulder Creative Housing, and then uh, <laughs> a Facebook page. Yeah, a Facebook page, and then um, some someone who has a tiny house TV show saw it on there somehow because they were passing through Boulder and just trying to find like find people to do shows on. Oh, cool! And then they filmed a show of me, and then that show went to like just kind of spread out. And eventually started getting calls from Boulder from people that pe that saw that TV show. Uh, what's and the TV show sorry. called? Um, it's called Living Big in a Tiny House. Oh, cool! And you can find it on YouTube. It's like you can just type in Corwin um, Tiny House. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. Um, so you got more. You got calls after people yeah, saw that. Yeah, and so that was an example where I was like, I'm gonna just do what I want and do like what I love. I was like doing some other 
I, I was actually in a natural building company that started taking on these jobs in standard construction mm-hmm. going down that route and i was hating it i was like i need to get out of this because <laughs> it just i mean it's good to see for a little while but only for like a month <laughs> where mm-hmm. there's the amount of waste wasted materials that i i tried to take as much materials as i could but couldn't didn't have mm-hmm. enough storage and so then uh deciding to just be like this is what i want to create and just doing it and going full on yeah. started to create a whole nother momentum and a whole new path for me. That's a great story. Yeah. It's partly what I'm hearing you say is like uh, discerning, like when to say no. Yeah. Like it, that's, that's, a, that's a big challenge for me too. <laughs> but, but, and, and I always, and I have like a different perspective on this. I always, I always think of yes and. Mm. So that's like a improv theater rule that you're always like, say yes to whatever the other person is doing because as soon as you say no you cut them off and then the the scene doesn't have anywhere to go really mm. because you're like oh no um okay <laughs> <laughs> so it's always a yes and it's kind of like aikido or something so uh. um for like i always like i guess an example is this greenhouse that i was doing i i said this is what i can commit to this is what i can do if you can accept those terms then I can do it. But if not, Hmm. um, there has to be another way. And so there's always, and I mean, I I think no is an important thing in certain aspects, but I also think there's a way of like, yes, I'll build your deck if I can build it like this. And then they, they can say no. Then they can say no. (laughs) Right. No, I like that. That's a good, that's a good way to look at it because it's, you're putting, you're saying what it is you want rather than just no, exactly. Yeah, I'm not just saying what I don't want. I'm saying like, oh, that's an aspect. Mm. That's a tiny aspect. This is what <laughs> I want. If you don't want to do what I want, then right. you could find someone else to build your deck for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's um, tiny temples is still in the process right now. We have a lot of jobs for healing earth homes, and we're working mm. at this promo video and working to get more investors to put money towards building the five prototype models Mm. that will then be kind of the example pieces um, that will sell um, eventually. Um, But to get that system moving, right now we're mostly focused on um, a bunch of other projects throughout the... um, We're doing this project called Spring Velvet, and it's Mm. downtown Denver on Pearl Street, and it's a whole... Uh, elven wonderland um elixir bar and oh, so cool. we're building that out and is it's this gonna a, be a private business yeah yeah okay. and it's going to be an amazing uh build out we have sweet i won't uh, I'll, I'll let i'll let <laughs> i'll let you find out when it's already built say but, the uh, name we, one more we, time it's called spring velvet cool um and then we're also working on everland which is a property my friend just bought um in Douglas County and that's 150 acres and it's another kind of experiential forest journey. So people, there's going to be tree houses and different, um, like amazing art through this, this forest and people, it's going to also be a retreat center and kind of an eco village. And so there's already a bunch of structures on that property, but there's all, there's going to be all different kinds of, um, artwork and journeys and, um, Mm -hmm. like places for meditation in the forest that, that you can experience and those are my two big projects right now and then i have a bunch of other um smaller like remodels and some other things 
Cool. Yeah. It's super exciting to hear about. Yeah, yeah. I want to go visit the one in Denver. Yeah, totally. That's going to be sweet. Yeah. And yeah, that should be opening up in November. Thank you so much for listening. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at A State of Mind. Come to our website at stateofmindplay.com. Send us a message. Let us know what you think. And if you would like to support this podcast, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash estateofmind. And if you'd like to learn more about my work as a therapist, coach, meditation teacher, and speaker, check out julianotion.us. Thank you so much, and I will see you here next time. Thank you.